When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply little accomplishment of mine this week yeah it's not fully my keepsake you know it's just like it's like a mini pre-segment keepsake was at an afters yeah an after party yes. you know exactly what I'm talking about I do. right <laughs> I do. was at an after party the host of said party at honeypot if you, know, <laughs> was, you know if you know you know the host um you know we met we were vibing. We were getting along. Hours went by where we were like just like getting along better and better as like new people in each other's lives. Then what what always happens when I'm um, dancing for long enough, my shirt came off. Yes. <laughs> it just happens whether yes. <laughs> whether I know it or not. Tits were out. Yes. And the host, <laughs> he literally raises his sunglasses <laughs> over his eyebrows looks down at my tits and goes, wait a minute. I know you. <laughs> I know you. I know you. Um, and proceeded to uh, say that he saw me dancing with my tits out at Carrie Nation and has thought about me ever since. <laughs> Mistakes. A gay man seeing tits and not just like, you know, like tits are all different. Everybody's yeah. tits are yeah, different. He, said he took a video of it because it was well, so beautiful. That, yes. Yeah. He does have a video of my tits on his phone and that is acceptable because my tits were out in public and he has not shared it with anyone. But yes, that's why he... That's why he could, in his mind's eye, remember my tits is because he had proof. But that is not even the point I was trying to make. I was trying to say that, like, I think to gay men, tits are tits, usually. Oh, yeah. But he, like, re- remembered my tits, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he, like, saw them and was like, I've seen these tits before. <laughs> and I have them documented on my phone because of how beautiful you looked dancing yes. under the yeah. disco ball at Carrie Nation. Anyway, I just think that that's, like, a real, that's a, that is my hard work paying off. Yes. Every fucking Carrie Nation, my tits are out. I'm doing the work. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, if these gay men's pecs are out at all these parties, by golly, these tits are going to be out. Yes. Um, and I'm not always the only one with my tits out, but it's no. usually just a few. Um, and I'm usually the first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that now I'm known for it. Yes. So that's all. That's that. that's what's going on with me this week. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of myself. Um, that's my biggest accomplishment. <laughs> In our Patreon episode, we talk about our biggest accomplishments of our lives. And I lied. I lied during our Patreon episode because it was really this. <laughs> we acknowledge on the Patreon episode that our voices are a little bit gone, a little bit fricked. Yes. Um, for more info on why that is, head on over to the Patreon. Don't subscribe. <laughs> but for now, you're just going to have to accept that we um, are having a little Emma Stone moment. Yes. Uh... <laughs> um, how about you? What's up with you this week? How'd that eclipse treat you? Oh, you know, 
Not great. Um, <laughs> let's see. I mean, on the actual eclipse, well, I guess it treated me well in the sense that um, I was like really depressed all week and then I wasn't going to go out on Thursday because I was so depressed. But I've also been trying to, ever since we talked on our last Patreon episode about how I like want to start traveling alone again. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to do things alone more often that like I want to do, which I think I've been like good at doing in the last year. Um, but the eclipse was good. Cause I just like ended up deciding to go out to like a dance party to Pat, um, to see some friends DJ and it was a good night. Like, you know, I went out alone. I saw friends there and hung out with friends, but I got myself there alone. I did my own thing. I danced alone. Um, So yeah, it was cute. I guess that is how the eclipse went. Independent woman. Still dealing with matters of the heart, which you can go listen to on the Patreon (laughs) episode. I'm not getting into them here. Same. Um... But if you're in my day-to-day life and you listen to the podcast, you know what I'm talking about. If you know, you you know. And if you know, feel free to text me. Tell me what your perspective is. (laughs) (laughs) What do you see? Yeah, we're trying to we're we're trying to do some reflecting um, and work. I've been doing a lot of gay kissing this week. Yes, I. That's um an accomplishment of mine is that I um was really vibing at the afters yesterday and last night with this very lovely gay guy who I wasn't sure if he was like totally gay or not but I mean it was clear that he fucks men um (laughs) but we were really vibing he was like really putting out the vibes and I was like okay I see what's happening this is hot you're cool um and I like really wanted to make out with him and then I went to 718 sessions and we finally made out he initiated and we like really passionately made out and then one of our friends who's really good friends with him came and found me and she was like girl like I go away for like two minutes and I come back and I find out that like you and him like just made out and I was like yeah like oh no did I do something wrong and I was like yeah and she was like that's amazing I've been friends with him for 15 years and I have never heard of him making out with a woman Uh, she was like doing the work she was like I can't believe that and I was like oh I mean yeah I just have that effect yeah um so that was an accomplishment that was hot and fun um I love that for me yeah I mean I uh, I'll get into this more in our segments but I'm just like I'm having a glow up era in terms of my own queerness. Um, Not that I wasn't already queer as fuck and vibing, but the full moon eclipse in Taurus has really blown some shit wide open for me. And um, I've just been like absolutely on my gay bullshit. Yes. And, you know, I've been on my gay bullshit. I famously am gay for gay and I'm still gay for gay and if you if you don't know uh what that means I'm just you know anyone who's gay I'm gay for them yes but in general especially in the last like year and with the circles we run in that has been mostly apparating in like gay men yeah and queer men um and like non-binary people that are mostly male presenting um and God bless to all of that. I'm still on that gay bullshit. Absolutely gay for that gay all day. 
But this week, um, Mama's back on her gay WLW bullshit. And I love that for me. Um, And it seems, uh, yeah, it just seems like a whole new era is afoot. I can feel it brewing. And um, right in time for Sag season. Fire signs. uh, Famously... Well, I mean, I don't know. I, during my own fire sign season, during Aries season, I have a hard time. But during the other fire sign seasons, I'm usually absolutely peaking. Yeah. Um. So I'm excited because Scorpio season was hard. I don't know yeah. about for everyone else, but wow. Fuck that. Fuck that. R.I.P. Bye. Bye. Till next year. Um. But yeah, I guess that's... That's that on that. I just I've had I've had mostly a good week, but a little tiny bit of a um ah what the fuck week, you know? Uh, it's same. And I think that astrologically could be explained by the the full moon and all of that, and could also just like um generally in life be explained by like daylight is shorter and um there's like a lot of you know a lot of changes happening in everyone's lives because of like the season just fully shifting like for a second there it was just like it it was let's be honest it was summer from like mid-april to mid-november yeah like we were it was like you know just like attitude wise it was summer for sure um and i think it's like we've officially crossed over into like cozy winter yeah and that's i do love it but it also can sometimes make me like hardcore spiral for sure so i think it was a it was a um legendary collab between the full moon and just like matters of the physical actual world yeah that made me have just a brief um existential crisis and now we're back we've bounced back we're um doing what we can (laughs) and um i we're about to have a legendary winter i think i hope i think we'll see I think so. We'll see. I hope. <laughs> okay. I'm calling it in. Okay. We're having a legendary winter. All right. Great. If anyone wants to call in my ticket to Mexico so I can go, let me know. I'm yeah, seriously. still trying to pay for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's call that in yeah, for I'm sure. Trying to call. If, <laughs> if you get pay, us to Mexico. If you help us get to Mexico, me and Anya will hook up. We will hook up on the beach. We will post it to OnlyFans. Yes. yes. Actually, yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's what it is. Deal. Just subscribe to the Patreon. Subscribe to the Patreon. That, that, Anchor. Like, support us on Anchor. Yeah, support us on Anchor. Um, subscribe to my and Nika's OnlyFans. Yeah. Just get us to Mexico, okay? We work hard partying this hard all the time. We deserve <laughs> it. <laughs> yes. All of our friends are going to be there. We have to go. We have to go. Ew, you have to get us to Mexico. Ew. Ew. Um, anyway, this episode is our 50th episode worth noting, worth mentioning. Very exciting. A very exciting episode. episode. You've probably read the title in the description and you know already, but Chris Gethard is on this episode. Huge comedian. Very excited that he gave us this time in his life talking to us about 
mistakes and partying and comedy, famously the three things that we also think about and yes. talk about the most. You had told me six years ago when I was watching Broad City Stone <laughs> that I would want to have a podcast and Chris Gethard would be on it. I'd shit my pants. I'd shit, I'd shit them to the brim. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely full of poop. Um, yeah, such a delight. And so stay tuned for that. Um, cause if you clicked on this episode and it, because it said Chris Gethard is on it, you've never heard us before in your life. And you're like, okay, when does that start? <laughs> it's coming. Okay. We just have a couple more segments to, to, for you to pe- persevere through. Yes. And then you're going to hear all about Chris Gethard's, um, crazy ups and downs, yes. um, of his life. And it's a true delight. And, um, let's get into our segments. Mistakes, keepsakes and hot takes. I'll go first. Okay. My my mistake this week is um without getting into too much detail. Okay, you know you've made a mistake. If you're in therapy, besties, you you know you've made a mistake when you kind of want to cancel your therapy appointment because you don't even want to talk to your therapist oh, about yeah, it. For sure. <laughs> You're like, let's give this a little bit more time before I talk to my therapist about this because it's just like too embarrassing that I was talking about this last week and we like came up with a plan together. I've executed none of it. And listen, I have two more days until therapy. So maybe I'll get my shit together and be able to proudly announce that I did what we agreed I would do, but not looking like it so far. (laughs) And um, I did. okay, I did a tiny version of it, but we agreed that um, I would talk. I would have a conversation Well, honestly, multiple conversations, not just like with one person in particular, but that I would have a conversation about my feelings um, and just like that I owe it to myself to not just like be a cool, chill girl um, in a way that I would normally be like, well, let's just see how this plays out and it'll probably work itself out. And I'll then I'll never the way I once felt won't even matter. Yeah. Um, And you know, my mistake either way is that I just like have not been like having being proactive about my feelings and communicating them, um, making my needs known. That's a mistake either way, but it's especially a mistake because I like already knew I needed to do that and explicitly spoke about it with my therapist and, um, then just kind of like let myself limbo out of that for the last week um making up excuses as to why I don't really need to do that or why it's like why you know my feelings don't actually really make sense and I need to like make more sense of them before I communicate them and like there's always there's always a reason to not speak your truth yeah and I've been um giving myself those reasons left and right and it's stupid because I am normally a very forward communicative confrontational ass bitch Until it comes to very certain particular scenarios. And then I like have like, well, I couldn't possibly. Um, I don't want to burden anybody with this or like this is going to make me seem crazy. Yeah. And I just need to snap out of it. And so now I'm holding myself double accountable. Well, triple accountable, really, because I talked about this on the Patreon episode last week, too. So it's like, yeah, I talked about it on the Patreon app. I talked about it with my therapist. Now I'm talking about it on the main ass episode. 
girly bestie, <laughs> just fucking do it already. Um, but I love to suffer in silence. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite hobbies. So that's my mistake this week. My keepsake, um, I get much more in depth to on this on our on this topic, I um, speak much more in depth about it on the Patreon app. But um, I, during the full moon eclipse in Taurus, I just had a very transcendent, profound experience of like realizing why I've been cutting myself off from connections for so long with women and non-binary people, especially like feminine non-binary people. And that reason being um, that for a long time, when I have had connections with men, I have uh, been like, great, cool. That's um, it's natural for this man to have a crush on me because I'm the shit and men are um, sloppy (laughs) and unlovable. And the fact that I am giving them this love is such a compliment to them. And with women and non-binary people and like femme people, I've been like putting them on this perfection ass pedestal and convincing myself that I'm not like perfect enough yet to be worthy of their attention and their love. And like, I need to first not be my own flawed self before I like a burden one of these people with um like my bullshit yeah um and that's not fair to anybody involved it's not fair to the women it's not fair to the non-binary people it's not fair to the men and it's not fair to me that I'm just like kind of assuming everybody's uh flaws and lack of flaws and um assuming their reactions to mine and um holding everyone including myself to all these like different standards And just like letting the societal notion that like men are flawed, but we accept them for that anyway. And women are these like put together perfect beings that like it's specifically in like the heteronormative sense, like women are the ones that like men are their little projects that they fix and mother and help through their issues. So of course, as a like feminine person, you're going to accept men's flaws and like Um, your flaws are going to not be as much of the focal point because they're the project and you're the mother. Um, And and inversely, women are expected to be like very like perfect. And um, I don't know. We, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So when you're a queer person and you're like not even realizing the ways that these heteronormative um ideals have like slipped into your subconscious you like hold yourself and everyone else to these standards that don't even make sense and you're like not allowing women to be the flawed people that they are you're not allowing yourself to be the flawed person that you are and you're like cutting men all this slack for their flaws but then also kind of like insulting them that like you're not okay with women seeing your flaws but it's like Mm -hmm. whatever I don't care if this man that I don't respect sees them Mm -hmm. it's all stupid and made me realize that I've been treating literally nobody fairly in this equation including myself and it's just like blown open this door um, which is why it's my keepsake because I do think I am going to keep this with me like it's like I can't unsee this realization um, that I've been closing myself off off from a lot of connections and also kind of selling some connections short. And then also 
even in the connections I haven't closed myself off to, like my connections with men, I haven't like really been present for them because of all these like little like roles and dynamics in my head that I've been assuming. Yeah. Um, and so it's just like, uh, I'm glad I've been single for the last four years because uh-huh. like I'm, I'm like, this was an important aha moment for yeah. me to like now take into whatever the future of my romantic and sexual life will be. Um, because I've been gay and queer as fuck this whole time, but I've been like really not, I've been like not fully present in that aspect of myself. Yeah. Um, so that's my keepsake. My hot take. I mean, this isn't like not an original hot take at all, but my hot take is that like, if you're sort of feeling lost in life, you're feeling like maybe you've been, um, wasting time in like a certain field, you know, often people for their twenties will be going after one thing. Sometimes that is in the form of majoring in it in college. Sometimes it's in the form of just like pursuing a certain thing. And then you'll like kind of get hit by a realization that it's not actually what you want or there's things about it that you didn't realize you were signing up for. And you just start to kind of like have a little bit of a crisis around all of that. And you're like, did I just waste all my time putting so much of my energy into this thing when it turns out like I want something else? And I've been having that a little bit with comedy. We all know that if we've been listening to the podcast. My hot take is that whatever has made sense to you at some point and has like lit your fire at some point and you've been passionate about at some point, it will come into fruition in your life why you spent your time doing that. Even if you don't actually do that thing the way that you thought you might or like your goals in it change or you completely pivot into a completely new career like nothing that you are passionate about and that you care about for any amount of time was a waste of time. Yeah. The skills that you gained from that, the things that you learned from that, the people that you met through that, like there are all sorts of ways that that is all going to come together down the line. And so my hot take is to not like worry too much about like, you know, if you're taking all the steps correctly or like if you um, are pivoting careers and like feel like you have like lost time to make up for like no you don't I mean maybe in certain small ways you do but like the time that you've spent being passionate about anything will translate into skills that nobody else has um, or you know maybe some people do but like it's invaluable it is invaluable to care about something and so even if the thing doesn't work out the way you wanted it to at one point or your goals around it change. Um, It was never a waste of time. And um, it will like it will come in handy. Yeah. Period. Like the things that you end up doing, the the thing that like actually ends up happening, like you will find that the the um, the time that you spent doing that thing was worth it. And um even if it seems unrelated in the moment that you're like having a a pivot, it's, it's not, you know? Yeah. And I'm not, that is not me announcing that I'm like quitting comedy or anything. I'm just, I've been recently starting to like get more and more interested in these like other pursuits. And each time I like think about, um, 
what I have to bring to the table in those pursuits. I'm like, oh, thank God I spend so much time doing stand up comedy because I have like all these skills that translate so well into this thing that like when other people do it and they didn't do stand up comedy first, they like don't have those skills. And it's not necessarily an automatic um you know, you wouldn't necessarily link like doing stand up comedy as a like step towards some of these things. Yeah. But it was for my journey and I'm happy about it. And I'm, listen, I'm still doing stand up. But if I were to suddenly stop doing stand up and only doing these other things, the time that I spent doing stand up, I think was like very, very valuable to pretty much anything else I'd want to do in life. Um, and for a minute there, I was, I was worried that I had like wasted so much of my time doing this thing so vigorously for me to only like realize that I sort of have these other goals or like things about stand up that I don't like. Yeah. And I'm now realizing like, no, 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 no. There is no wasted time when you're doing something that you're passionate about. For sure. Anyway, there it is. Your turn. Um, let's see. What is my mistake? Um, my mistake. I have been, as you know, dealing with some like, pretty like since August heavy like emotional stuff in my family um and I like have been actively avoiding thinking about it and then I started thinking about it again like at a dance party on the dance floor Mm -hmm. um which was like so annoying um because I'm going home for Thanksgiving this week that is not the mistake the mistake is that I have just been I'm in this entanglement with this person that I have been talking about both on the main apps and the Patreon app apps. Um, And I have kind of been expecting them almost in a way to show me a version of themselves that they have never shown me Mm. was there before. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I know this person kind of inside and out because there's such like we have such a life together um but I think and I never expected this side of them to come out like before but now that you know when we were just friends but now that there is this sexual and romantic component of our relationship it's almost as though I'm expecting them I feel like I'm putting like partner expect a part emotional partner expectations on this person to like be there for me the way that my partner would mm. um and like they're not my partner and it's like I don't really I am getting that support from you from like my sister from other very dear friends but and so it's like I don't need it from this person but I really want it from them and mm. so it's just been making me both really frustrated with them and then also with myself more so with myself with for even feeling frustrated with them because it's almost like not even fair to them to expect that when I like know it's like not part of your yeah it's not part of your established dynamic and then also like it's not part of them as far as you even know yeah like I don't mean that as an insult it's just that You know, it's we have we don't have that. We've never had that relationship. I mean, I bring that into all of my relationships. I think I'm pretty emotionally present for all of my friends when they're going through something. And they are, too. But there's someone that is present through kind of like actions. So that's my mistake. Um, It's a classic. um, 
words of affirmation versus quality time and um, uh, acts of service, like lost in translation yeah. moment. Yeah. I just think it's like a love language um, translation issue. Yeah. And I, I often think that the solution to that, and this is, I need to take my own advice on this, but the solution to that is making your needs known yeah. to the other person. Yeah. Because it's like, yeah, it's unfair to expect a love language that doesn't really come as naturally to someone to be the one that they give you. Yeah. Um, without like making that known. Unfortunately, the truth about like love languages is that if it, isn't your love language it just isn't, isn't and you yeah. can do you can try to be proactive and like it has worked for me in the past like physical touch was not my love language giving or receiving it just like didn't come naturally to me I didn't feel it in my like I just didn't it was not my instinct period to give it or receive it I just like it wasn't there for me and I've like slowly become more and more of a physical touch person because of how many physical touch people there in my, there are in my li- life. Yeah. And I, I'm like now I've like ch- almost trained myself. That sounds like a, it's like I don't like it. I do really like no, it now, but I've like trained myself into it. Yeah, and I think it's also part of the like the reason this might be a little bit different than like maybe any other love language is that physical touch is the thing that as a society, we have a very hard time navigating. Like we don't really touch each other a lot. Um, And there's all this like kind of stigma around touch, rightly so in a lot of cases, like in professional settings, physical touch can kind of be taken to a sexual harassment place. And like, so we just don't touch each other at work or at school. And like, that's just part of it. But you know, when there's all these like boundaries around Mm touch I think it's easy to kind of like as a person check out of touch um and it not be as important to you and or it be like the most important thing because physical touch love language people are like obsessed with it and I think it's because we are so deprived of it that both things kind of become the case so I will kind of I'll give it that that it's maybe a little bit different however I do know that you can work on it yeah and so like Sometimes I get a little bit miffed when like I express that my love language is like for me it's big time words of affirmation and, and quality time. Yeah. And like if you're not going to make like an active effort in those areas, it kind of it doesn't even really matter to me that it doesn't come naturally to you cuz I'm like just try though. Yeah. My keepsake though, um I had two different conversations with um two different friends yesterday and last night that were both like really lovely and affirming. Um, And the conversation with both of them was pretty much the same. They both are new friends in this, you know, queer family nightlife community that I have found my, you know, I have fallen into in the last few months and feel extremely privileged to be a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, And two of these friends both had conversations with me where they were like, you know, told me that they both felt like they both had had conversations with other people about how they felt that my presence in this community family friend group is like a really welcomed uh, presence and like a breath of fresh air and like an energy that they feel was like missing in this family and that they like love having me around and that they 
like really value me and they like love that we're developing this friendship and that was just really sweet um because I have been feeling that way about them and it was just nice to hear that because to get some words of affirmation yeah to get some words of affirmation (laughs) that I am seen and that I'm Uh loved and that I'm wanted and that you know and like specific just to hear specific things that they are really enjoying about me um just felt really sweet and it like made me feel even more secure within this community of people that I have been really enjoying being with but also have been really careful to not um not take up too much space in because they all have such deep friendships with one another and I am very much the new girl Mm -hmm. um and no one has made me feel like the new girl but I think it's like important and mature and like adult to be a little bit uh, slow with how much emotional intimacy you try to have with people. Oh, yeah. Um, And so it's just it's nice to know that they that we're all on the same page or actually three friends. I lied. Not just two. Three friends in this in this community yesterday and last night had this conversation with me. Um, So, yeah, that was really sweet. If you're listening, I love you. Um, And my hot take. uh, My hot take is just that twinks are at the um, lowest, specifically white twinks, but all twinks are at the lowest level of the pecking order in the queer community. And um, I just wish that I never had to be around them at all because I just find them to be so grating um and draining and entitled and the space that they they're so tiny usually (laughs) like in stature they're so small they're like waifs and yet the space they take up is um astronomical and I was at battle him last night behind you know in the booth with Carrie Nation and some other iconic people And there were some twinks that were there and just the amount of times that I was shoved into by these twinks because they don't know how to not take up space was just mind boggling to me. Um, And I just my hot take is that both um, go away and also why are you here? Um, Yeah, I hate twinks. The bachelorette party is calling from inside the house house, besties Uh, like twinks you have done nothing (laughs) like were there twinks at stonewall probably not (laughs) probably like on the other side twinks called the cops oh my (laughs) god nika's throwing the first brick at twinks yes uh, that's the next riot (laughs) we're rioting against twinks keep them out uh so that's my hot take (laughs) Cancel us. Um, This message from Best Mistakes Only. Chris Gethard has nothing to do with this this particular hot take. Um, We would never put those words in a straight person's mouth. Um, But if you are in the LGBT community, um, it's it's if you're in the LG, what is it? LG. T- no, no, no. LBTQ community. Yeah. You're able to throw bricks at the G. Yes. It's like that meme of that yeah, yeah, yeah. girl absolutely decking. <laughs> That's me beating up twinks. Yeah.
I would say the Britney Christina drama is the fuck up of the week, but on Christina's end. I I have not been I did not follow up uh, ever since Britney posted that story. But would you care did to you, take Did you watch the did you listen to the clip? Yeah. Okay. But would you care to li- like bring the whole everyone through the through this? Yes. Um should I play the clip? Sure. Brittany, is, have you had any communication? Have you guys had any communication? No, we're not doing that tonight. I'm sorry. Okay. I know. Okay. But I'm happy for her. So that is the interview. This was uh, Christina on the red carpet. I don't know what the event was for, um, but she's asked if she's, as you just heard, if she's spoken to Christine or if Christina's spoken to Brittany since the conservatorship ended. And the person saying, no, we're not doing that tonight is her PR person. And so Brittany then posted this to Instagram and said, I love and adore everyone who supported me, but refusing to speak when you know the truth is equivalent to a lie. 13 years being in a corrupt, abusive system. Yet why is it such a hard topic for people to talk about? I'm the one who went through it. All the supporters who spoke up and supported me. Thank you. Yes, I do matter. Um, And Popgrave reported on it and says, Britney Spears calls out Christina Aguilera for walking away from a question about her conservatorship ending. Um, And... I just think that this could be a light fuck up of the week Um, because it's just interesting. Christina Aguilera was one of the first people that came out months ago after the Framing Britney Spears documentary or or not that after Britney had her bombshell testimony Mm. um, and that we all heard a few months ago and came out and posted on Instagram about how much she supported Britney and how much she was there for her Um, and I just think it's I think this was an interesting fuck up on Christina's part and just a larger fuck up on the music industry's part, because as Lady Gaga and Madonna have both said, this was like the open secret of the music industry. Everybody knew about it for 13 years and everybody was, according to these two icons, was kind of told by their teams to never talk about it ever, to not reach out to Britney, to not talk about, to not talk about Britney on any level in interviews at all mm. um, because it could affect their careers. And so it's just interesting to see someone like Christina then, I think kind of hop on a bandwagon of public support. And then the minute that she's freed from the conservatorship, Christina like doesn't want to talk about it on the red carpet and to act as though, she didn't do anything wrong. It's like a major lack of solidarity, in my opinion. It's not women supporting women. Yeah, it's not very girl boss slay of her. No. Well, also, it's just like it kind of reeks of um, a return to Christina's ongoing insecurity about how she's only ever asked about Britney and yeah. like how she like is always being compared to Britney. And it's like, I... I don't know. I just sort of I'm getting the sense that um, part of it is also just specifically between Brittany and Christina. Christina has always been the one that is like a little shadier and a little like I don't like, you know, we're two different people and like stop comparing us. Stop asking me about Brittany. And like, you know, the peak of that was like basically 20 years ago now. Yeah, it's like get over it. Um, And like don't fake solidarity if you don't really have it in you. Yeah. And it's also like disappointing. It's yeah. Sad. Yeah. Very disappointing. Um, obviously, the like big fuck up of the week was the Kyle Rittenhouse um, verdict. Yes. I feel, um, you know, we should mention it and we should point out like the fact that this is just like if you didn't. If you had any doubt before that the criminal justice system is broken, 
Well, it's not broken. It's working exactly how it was made to work, which is to like protect white people and white supremacy and property over protecting like human beings in general. Like this is all the proof we need. Think of how many people are serving serious time for weed charges. But this person murdered people and like because he cried about it, it was self-defense. Yeah. It's just, it's like so glaringly obvious. I saw an interesting tweet that was like all the women who are like serving life in prison for killing their Uh abusers um, would really like to have a word about this self-defense verdict. Yeah. Um, Well, and it also shows that like white supremacy extends beyond protect, just protecting white people and also serves as a tool to, uh, to like also enact violence on Yes. white people who stand in support of black people. Yes. Um, and that like you are well, as a white person, you are only protected by white supremacy. You know, it's like it's a self-eating monster. Yeah. Um, which I, I think uh, like everybody needs to acknowledge um, on every level. Right. And it's also why white people are so um, skittish about how much solidarity they actually show, because I think on like a deep level, every like white people know that we walk with a certain amount of protection by white supremacy unfortunately that like you know are like obviously when you're white your life is easier for numerous reasons and one of them is that um the like white supremacist system just is inherently like protecting you but as long as you're like also upholding and protecting it and upholding it and protecting it can look really subtle and can be really subtle you don't have to be wearing a Ku Klux Klan outfit to be an upholder of it yeah and I look at Joe Biden right I mean yeah I mean look at a lot of people look at the majority of white people honestly because that's like like true true solidarity is um giving up that protection that is given to you um, for simply being white. And even still, there's a certain amount of protection you have. That's why white people are at the front of like the physical groups at protests, because even when we're like putting our bodies in that situation, like cops are still going to treat our bodies with slightly less brutalization I mean a lot less in some cases but I I don't want to take away from the people who have like truly gotten severely injured yeah but still um yeah I like I do think that this does go to show why like posting that like black square Mm -hmm. and like having BLM in your um bio is not like actual white allyship because you're like still probably the rest of your life is just like still you uh not like really putting yourself in like danger at the for the um purpose of like dismantling this system that whether you want to admit it or not makes your life more comfortable um and i'm speaking to myself as well like i don't always do enough it's like easy to kind of get lost in the sauce and forget your own privilege in certain i mean like it's harder to forget your own privilege when you do have certain disadvantages and you can see other people's privilege and how much they forget their privilege. Yeah. 
Um, I think that is kind of a saving grace for us as like queer people sometimes. Um, queer people who are not men. Yeah. Um, is we can see the ways that other people are like grossly forgetting their own privilege. Um, so we're hopefully a little bit less likely to do it ourselves. But I think everybody does do it. And um, yeah, it's important to take this time to listen to uh, everyone who's been like screaming at the top of their lungs about exactly this, exactly this system working exactly this way. Um, And the ways that our silence in times of uh, convenience is upholding that system. Mm -hmm. Yep. Hopefully I said that somewhat eloquently, but I'd be remiss to not mention it because that is obviously the like fuck up of this week. And I don't want to be two white white girls of the podcast that don't mention it. No, I got it. Um, But also, yeah, the Britney and Christina drama, a more fun fuck up of the week for sure. Yes. And it's also Just for the pop cultural theme of our podcast. It's very it's very Y2K. I'm yeah. loving the like the throwback of like, oh, Brittany and yeah. Christina having a little bit of a, a, a feud. Yeah. Although in Y2K, they kept being presumed to have a feud yeah. and didn't actually. Yeah. And now it's like, OK, <laughs> the long game. Yeah. <laughs> OK, the plot thickens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in any case. Sometimes we got to also mention the heavy fuck up. Yes. Uh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this episode, Chris Gethard. You may know Chris Gethard from Broad City. You may know uh, Chris Gethard from his podcast, Beautiful Anonymous. You may know Chris Gethard from his public access show back in the day that really put him on the map. It's so funny and I think is still like available on YouTube and stuff. Um, If you haven't, that's a rabbit hole worth falling into. Um, He was so kind to give us a chunk of his time and to talk about and be very vulnerable about mistakes he's made. Yeah. Um, And... We uh, even get a little bit of a party mistake out of him. We we stayed on brand. We we talk about Molly yes. <laughs> with him. Yes. Um, and it's just a very fun interview. And, um, you know, 50 episodes is special. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah, Thank you for listening episodes. for 50 episodes. We've stayed on our bullshit and you have stuck around and we wanted to reward that with a heavy hitter. Yes. Um, and in a couple of weeks, it will be our one year episode. Um, and we're going to hopefully do something special for that as well. Yep. Um, and yeah, big things are coming. But for now, the big thing um, is Chris Gethard. Yeah. So get, get, get into, into it. it. Well, first of all, this is Nika. This is our producer, Elisa, in the background. How are you? How's everybody doing? Good. Amazing. How are you? I'm pretty good. I mean, like perpetually tired, but that's just because I'm old and a dad now. So, sure. Answer. Very boring answer. At least you have an excuse. I'm perpetually tired, just as a personality trait. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. I have to say, my mom is like an enormous, enormous fan of Beautiful Anonymous. Um, She's like obsessed with it. (laughs) 
And I've, you know, I've done some cool things with some cool people in comedy in my day. But she this is by far the most excited she's ever been about anything I've told her I'm doing. <laughs> you got to um, thank her for me. Thank, please thank her for listening. That's so well, funny. She listens to this podcast, so you can thank her right now. <laughs> Say thank it. you Say so thank you. much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for listening. Your support means the world. And I'm happy to live in the exact generational gap that can bring families together like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful thing. That's um, my obligatory mom shout out. She also desperately wants to call in, but per the anonymity she won't tell you that it's her if she ever does that, but um, yeah. that's <laughs> now you'll know. Like if you ever listen to an episode, would you? I mean, you'd know because it was her voice and stuff. But what if she started launching into stories and you were like, "Oh shit, that's definitely my mom." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fine. We're, we're we have a, a chill enough relationship that yeah. um, I think I would just be excited about it. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's, uh, that makes me feel good. Thank you for listening, mom. (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure somewhere she's saying you're welcome in her cute little Dutch accent. Thank you for coming on our podcast. Our podcast is famously about um, fucking up and making mistakes Mm -hmm. and learning, which we both love to do. Hopefully everyone loves to do it because we're doing it whether we like to or not. (laughs) Um, But we were just, you know, as a way to kick it off. Um, would you mind telling us a little bit about like your perspective on mistakes, your relationship with mistakes, your relationship with cringing at stuff or celebrating fucking up or whatever it is that you, what your process is with that element of life? Well, I think it's a really important and necessary thing to do. I think as a human, uh, let alone if you're someone who has like any artistic inclinations, then it's like vital. Then you you have to, I think, mm-hmm. I, I'm a big proponent of the idea of like, you have to just fail. You have to just get out there and make, embarrass- make, make embarrassing stuff, put it out in the world. Like many things that I have put out there that I thought were surefire, like this is going to set the world on fire. This is going to be the next big plank in my career. No one cared about. Like Beautiful Anonymous is a great example of, It was completely an idea that I was like, I think there might be something here. And the company that put it out actually passed on it three or four times and kept asking me to pitch them. They were like, do you have anything else? I was like, I think this phone call thing might have something to it. Can we just make a pilot? And then it exploded instantly, changed my Mm -hmm. whole life. So I feel like you have to risk mistakes and you have to get over the self-consciousness that comes with public failure in particular. And I know for, for, a lot of my career when I was doing my old public access show, which is when I think a lot of people, you know, cared about me mm-hmm. or, or first found out about me, that was all born out of being like, no one gives, I, I have, I have hit rock bottom I'm si- and I'm signing up for public access TV and I'm owning it and I feel like a fucking loser and whatever. I'm just going to make the TV show that I always have wanted to see. So, Failure is a really tough thing and mistakes are things that can sting really hard. But I think when it comes to figuring out who you are and where you're going to land in life, I'd rather make them and get them over with than sit around nervous and fretting and scared. Yeah. Have you gone through um, parts of your life where that like was the decision you made where you sat around fretting, nervous and scared? 
Oh, I mean, I'm a, I'm filled with endless endless anxiety. Actually, I'm so glad you just asked me that because I take my medication every four hours and I'm running late, so I'm actually going to <laughs> eat Adderall while on screen with you. Yeah. Prescribed, Amazing. prescribed. I'm not taking more than is prescribed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm filled with ang- endless anxiety mm-hmm. and questioning and self doubt, but pretty much any uh. Anything that I've done that has worked came in a moment of just sort of desperate, like, all right, I'm just going to throw this at the wall and see if it sticks. And then miraculously, a handful of things have over the years. And now I get to now I get to stress about having a mortgage, you know, so it's like the stress (laughs) remains just gets it just gets just takes on different forms. But it's all a sign that overall things have been working. So uh who knows who knows how long it'll last but could not have gotten gotten anything good in my life going without an abysmal amount of of failure and messing up along the way absolutely amen to that at least i hope yeah i hope amen (laughs) because i'm still in the the failure uh phase but happily (laughs) having the time of my life good well that's the important part i i do look back and i realize like I wish that when I was younger and figuring it out and coming up that I had allowed myself to enjoy it more. Like I stress mm. so much and I think rightfully so in some ways, but I look back on it now and I'm like, I would kill to have those stresses. Those were more exciting and fun stresses to be like, <laughs> why aren't I getting booked on more shows as I like run around Brooklyn, staying up till three thirty in the morning on weeknights. Like, mm why like that was such a fun era of my life and i wish that i had embraced the fun a little bit more so there's a mistake i made well you know maybe my mistake is that i'm not as uh stressed about all of that as i used to be but i definitely was i definitely went through my phase of uh why am i not booked on more shows and staying up till 3 a.m in brooklyn um doing that hustle no but thank god because if you were still stressed about that you wouldn't be staying up until 3 a.m with me (laughs) yeah now i now i'm uh staying up till 3 a.m in a more fun way yeah Um, how often do you two stay up till 3 (laughs) a.m that's i think probably our regular yeah i mean usually past 3 a.m yeah 3 a.m is like i feel like if i go to bed at 3 a.m i'm like wow it's an early night yeah serious (laughs) for for sure yeah God bless you. God bless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of that is I have a sleep disorder, but Uh a lot of it is fun Um, and hustling and depending on the day. For me, it's mostly fun. And also I'm just nosy. I like to stay up so I know what's going on. (laughs) Just for gossip purposes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) All the good stuff is happening. Even if it's just scrolling Twitter in bed until 3 a.m. I still need to know what's going on. Yeah. It's it's, it's your reading the newspaper in the morning. You just do it that that side of the morning. Yes. The other side. Absolutely. I have to say, uh, on just speaking of like phases of careers and things not going to plan, um, we were just on Fest together in Florida. And there was like something that happened where there like wasn't a host or there was a host and they like didn't realize they had to host and it was like chaos for a little bit. It and was I was wild. <laughs> it was wild. It was a wild show. <laughs> I was struck by in that situation, you as like the headliner, as the person that everyone was like coming to see on that show, you like stepped up to the plate and hosted the show when you certainly 
that didn't need to fall to you. I don't think anyone asked it of you. I hope not, at least. No. Um, no. Well, were you there at the beginning? I was, but I wasn't there for like whatever conversation happened that made you host the show. I just all of a sudden walked in and you were hosting now. Yeah, I mean, it was like, look, they they didn't book a host for the show. That's let's be clear too. It's a music festival and it's a very well intentioned festival, and it's really great that they have a comedy stage and the punks like it's a punk festival and the punks show up for it and it's awesome and Mm -hmm. over the years at fest i've met a number of comedians where now when i travel the country they're the people i reach out to they're the people i get food with they're the people i ask to do my shows with me like like like-minded people but you know you got to maybe do a little research about how a comedy stage runs and (laughs) they booked a host and then they didn't add any more time to the show for the host to do material so then he did 10 minutes and it was, I think, a little bit of a questionable 10 minutes um, by a lot, but especially by the standards, I think, of like a bunch of progressive punk rock people. I think people were a little bit like, whoa, what was just said? And that created a weird vibe. And then from what I understand, the stage manager maybe had some words and was like, you you went too long. And then he stormed out and never came back. But I don't know. I got the sense some of the other comedians were maybe friends with him and I didn't know what was going on, but then he never came back. And that, that seemed like a surprise to everybody. And the house lights were still on and to get out of the room, you had to walk across the stage, which is nobody's fault. But I was sitting there just going like, well, someone's just got to run this show because you got to tell everybody to leave after the comics. Not during. We got to have somebody intro on these people. We got to tell them, turn the house lights off. We got to tell them, stop opening the door to the loud light. So I just leaned down to the house manager. The best part too was the house manager. Um, nobody had explained how to light a comic to her. So at two mm-hmm. minutes, she was standing up off to the side where the whole crowd could see it and holding up a sign on which she had written the words time's up, <laughs> which is, you know, like a, uh, a hashtag that, <laughs> I think has been, you know, associated with like taking down sex abusers and stuff. And all of a sudden these comics are on stage. There's just a person who looks like they're being, who protesting them up to the side with a sign that says time's up. And I was like, you gotta, you just hold a light. Just wait for them to give you a little nod. So had to do it. Had to step up. Had to host the show. I was like, this. I can't let this whole day be a disaster for every comedian can't do it I was very like struck by that I mean I agree with everything you said and like this is true about you as well I was not on until later in the show and so I was like out in the lobby for a lot of this and I like went in and saw some of the chaos and I was like it's up to God now (laughs) like I just was like feeling it felt so out of my hands but you just took control of it in a way that I was like oh well duh like that someone else should have done that first of all so that you didn't have to but I was also just very impressed that you did do it well and well I was sitting there going I'm sitting there a going look a lot of these comedians like came here out of pocket just to get a free pass to the festival there's people meeting each other and whatnot i'm sitting here going like i get to go up later in the day it will have figured itself out then like i'm established enough that if this whole day is a disaster it doesn't really matter but like there's some people who probably have been excited to do this for a few months who fucking drove here and spent their own money on gas and they're crashing on a floor so they could do eight to ten minutes of comedy i don't want to let it just be a disaster for everybody like i know it's maybe you know you're supposed to be like you know, ironically detached as a comedian or whatever. But I'm just like, I still care. I still, it's one of those things where I go, 
I'm I'm old at this point. I've been doing it over half my life. So I don't always get to have that feeling of being like nervous or excited to do a set anymore. Sometimes those feelings are a little dull with me, but I really like watching people who started after I did, people who are a little green compared to me. And that's not to say anybody was particularly green there, but compared to 21 years experience, maybe where I'm going, there's people who show up at fest and they go, I want to impress all these punk rockers. So I'm going, that just sucks for them that this show is going to be a disaster. And after it went on long enough and nobody was fixing it, I was going, okay, like now the math is also working out where I'm like, I feel like a lot of the people in this room might know who I am. So that also gives me maybe the most chance to like, it felt like, you know, a little bit like jump on the back of this like bucking Bronco and try to calm it down a little bit because it was a real disaster. Well, it worked. We got there. The we show there. went really And how did the second day go? Did they did have that. that guy host again? The second day was great. They're, they definitely they good, learned good, good. from the first day for sure. Um, and they had like a whole different system in place and they like made sure that the audience could only come and go when it was in between comics and there was hosts, there were, there was a host and, um, yeah. And the, the light situation was figured out. I can't even remember all the Everything. problems that needed to be fixed. That's but most good. of them were fixed. That's good. Yeah. And I, I was happy to jump up and help out cause I was just like, man, like I remember, like I remember what it's like to travel out of your own pocket or like be like really cutting costs because you're just doing it for the experience and the camaraderie and then if the show's a disaster on top of that and it doesn't even have to be eh, let's fix that let's fix that there's so many good people i don't think i'd seen you perform before yeah or anna um it had been a long time since i'd seen yeah. brandy posey and and uh, i'd never seen brian ziola before we're gonna do some shows together in florida and uh, a lot of people i really liked a lot of people yeah the the comedy lineup is um was really amazing this year i mean it's pretty great every year but um but yeah and that was the other thing you watched everyone's sets i recently had like a atrocious experience with um a headliner on a much less cool show anyway so i was just like oh cool i'm reminded Mm -hmm. that there are um people with uh soul in comedy still that's yeah and i don't know i still like i just like i still like (laughs) You know, for as annoying as it is, and at times it can be so eye-rolly, all like the internal dramas and the think pieces, let alone like the fact that some people have come after me in recent years where I'm like, you know, where I'm like, uh, this is, uh, comedy is annoying. It's an annoying thing, but also I do love it. I love it. And I want to, if we're doing a show, let's do the show right. Let's do it. Let's have a good show. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, We have a a segment on this podcast every week. We tell each other our mistake of the week, our keepsake of the week. So whatever the opposite of a mistake is that week, something good that we're going to take with us. Um, And then a hot take, which as a comedian, I don't think I need to explain Mm -hmm. a hot Mm -hmm. take to you. Um, And they're just from this past week and they can be silly. They can be serious, whatever you want. But we would love and our listeners would love to hear your um, mistake, keepsake and And hot hot take. take Could take us away of this week, if you you will. Okay. Yeah. And they can be like real simple, basic things. Let's see. Um. Oh, I know this will be some exclusive backstage info for your mom. We did a live taping of Beautiful Anonymous and 
um, they were kind of, my producer came up to me, he'd been screening the calls. He's like, so we got two options. Like one is about this and the other is about someone deciding if they want to have a threesome. And I was like, oh, threesome, let's go with that. <laughs> and it was a good call, but I realized I chose it because it was like the easier sounding topic and I shouldn't have done that. I realized that mm -hmm. was a mistake. Like the other, who knows what that other story would have been, but I just brushed it off because I was like, so threesome, let's talk about that. And then we barely talked about that threesome <laughs> thing. It was kind of incidental to the rest of the call and it was still a good call, but I went, ah, I, I took the easy road on that one. I messed that one up. I think that was a mistake. That was a good idea on that person's strong um, side, pitch, though, to like give you that strong pitch to the pitch. producer yeah. in a live show of like I'm thinking about having a threesome. Maybe Chris mm -hmm. can have help me decide. And I was like, yeah, that. And then we got into the call. I was like, it's <laughs> barely about that. I got I got hoodwinked a little bit. That's on me. That's on me. Threesomes themselves are always barely about the threesome as well. Uh, I, I've heard that's the whole problem. I've heard that's where all... the jealousy creeps in. Absolutely. I think every threesome has a different reason that it goes wrong. It's like fights. You're never fighting about the actual fight. <laughs> You're never having a threesome about the, the actual, actual threesome. threesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's always about something else. So that was the mistake. Category two, remind me. So something that went really mm -hmm. well this week or something that you're really proud of or something that, that you're happy about, you're touched by, something that you're going to keep with you um, or, you know, at least attempt I to. I am working. It's, I feel dumb because everything I'm saying is about shows and comedy, but it's legit. Yeah. Well, you're a comedian. Well, I've been so working okay. on this new show um, and it's like an hour, but it's been kind of like becoming a lot of thoughts about my dad in a way that I didn't expect. Um, and it's coming together very quickly. And I was in the car driving home from a show in Rochester a while ago. And I said, I should try to tell this little story at this part of the show. And it was from this kind of really intense emotional moment. And I started crying in the car. I was like, okay, I got to try that on stage. And I tried it for the first time and it went really well. And it was kind of intense and fucked up in a way I liked. I said, okay, we got to keep her there. So I was really happy. I think as comedians, you know, like if you find 10 new seconds that works, you're like, oh, I got, okay. I got a little mm -hmm. chunk. So yeah. It's so gold. to find a, a part that was actually kind of like an emotional thing too. I'm like, okay, that's good. So that felt good. And then also I'm a big fan of the college basketball team, the Seton Hall Pirates, and they've won their first two games in the past week. So that's really great, too. That's got me excited. Hell yeah. Sports. Okay. You two seem like you're very yeah, into sports. Yeah, we're we're sporty, sporty for girls. Sure. <laughs> sporty chicks, for sure. I love to watch a sport. <laughs> There's a balls yes. in them yes. sometimes, I hear. That's yeah. fun. You, you, Little outfits. I love, I love the little outfits. I love the uh, little outfits. Lots of hot boys. Yeah, there's hot boys, hot girls. <laughs> hot girls. Yeah, I had a feeling we would bond over the... <laughs> Couldn't tell you the, the name of a team. I had a feeling but... we were going to bond over the basketball team related to a small Catholic university <laughs> in northern New Jersey. I had a feeling that's where we would all bond. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's our common ground. We mm -hmm. finally found it. And Yay, then the hot sports. take? Um yeah, do you have a hot take? It doesn't have to be political. It's, it's pop cultural. And I feel bad because I do not talk bad about other hot. people's work. I've had people talk bad about my work, so I know it stings. So it's more food for thought. So I watched um, – I don't really get to see movies too often anymore because I have a kid. So you, you don't really do stuff. You know, like you ju it's just – it's a maelstrom of activity and obligations. But – I, I caught the new James Bond movie. I said, I only get to see one movie. I'm going to see a dumb popcorn flick. I know things will explode in this. Let's let's watch this movie. And I'm sitting here. I'm going, 
is Rami Malek a good actor? Because this is insane. <laughs> this is an insane performance. And then I'm thinking back to when Rami played Freddie Mercury. I'm going, that was like a fun movie. But did he? He won an Oscar. He won an Oscar. He's a bad actor. He's a bad actor. We can say it. Yeah. He's also like. You don't have to say it. We'll say yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Your food for thought is that's making like us as mean as I'll get on something that's being recorded. But I'm like, this is. <laughs> I'm now, well. You know what it is? It's like so now that he's playing that. like an evil, over-the-top James Bond villain. I'm seeing that it's almost exactly the same way he played Freddie Mercury. Where I'm like, are any of these choices, or is he just an insane person? He's just got that yeah. face. Yeah, he's probably insane. Didn't who was it that he asked to delete a photo of him that she posted on Instagram? He like messaged her. They went to high. It's another actress. They went to high school together, and he she posted a photo of them in high school together, and he like had posted it years ago on Instagram. And then when he got the Oscar and was like getting really like, you know, on everyone's TV, he messaged her on Instagram and was like, Hey, delete that photo. Like, I don't like the way I look in it. And she was like, so great to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, for let's sure. catch up sometime. She talked about it in an interview. I can't remember who it was, but it was so funny. And she was like, he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. There's like a, like a psychotic video of him from some campaign. Allegedly, it's a video where a bunch of people are like describing things that they like mm-hmm. and someone just isolated his part where he's just like he has like this monologue about like things that he likes and it reads like a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> describing like why he does what he does God, you know come on the pod tell us if you're yeah a come killer. on the pod <laughs> I wish I could quote the whole thing, but it's a it's like a three minute or it's probably less than that. It's like a minute long. And he's just looking dead into the camera like dead behind the monologuing. Eyes. It's really I embarrassing. was watching this movie and I was in my saying, opinion. what is going on like this? This these are some wild choices. And then I'm going, I feel the same way about the Freddie Mercury thing, though, too. And that like uh, that movie was so, so much criti- so much critical praise. <laughs> I, I don't understand why it was a true like the editing in that movie was terrible the sound editing was terrible didn't like, the editing also get an Oscar yes and the editing was so bad the wigs were bad like <laughs> everything about that they also didn't even talk about Freddie they did not touch on him being queer mm-hmm. which is insane because he famously was yeah <laughs> and openly so openly so and died from AIDS right yes yeah a weird movie it was camp. It, it was, was very, camp. it was high camp, <laughs> but they didn't know that. Is the yeah, thing. but that makes it more camp. For sure. <laughs> I haven't seen um, the new James Bond movie yet, but I didn't even realize he was in it. And now that honestly kind of makes me want to see it more, even though Is I, he James Bond? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Daniel oh. Craig. If they had him play James Bond, that would be the yeah, movie like of five the year. One. That'd be so funny. But you think about the standards <laughs> that James Bond movies set for villains. Like these are actual like mad scientists, like actual literal over the top human cartoons. And I was watching it going, mm-hmm. these choices are are beyond the pale. And this is by the standards. <laughs> this is by the standards of a franchise where it's like, you know, like Austin Powers is parodying how insane these movies are. And I'm sitting here going uh-huh. like, too much. You're breaking me out of the reality of a complete non-reality. It's wild. Yeah. For sure. Wild. Well, that was a sizzling hot take. Thank from... you. Hotter take than you'll usually get at an old old Chris yeah, Gethard. I was gonna say from Sweetie Pie Chris Gethard, that was a pretty hot take. Sizzling hot. <laughs> 
Amazing. I'm glad I could be here for that. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. We'll edit it all out. We'll bleep <laughs> we'll bleep out any like his name, all the movies that yeah. we mentioned. And people are just gonna have to piece together based on context. Kind of like my Cuomo hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Nika recently had a hot take about Cuomo that um, we bleeped out so much of the hot take that it was more bleep than it was oh, wow. the take. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine how controversial this take was that you self-censored. It was pretty it was controversial. <laughs> it was. There's a lot I want to get canceled for. I don't want to get canceled for sounding like an Andrew Cuomo stand or defender, and that is what I sounded like. So I was like, let's just bleep it out. It'll be funny. <laughs> and it was. And it, it was. was. Really funny. Um, and people uh, are, you know, some people have tried to guess <laughs> what it was she possibly said. No one's gotten it right. And um, we'll take it to our graves. Yeah. <laughs> or if I'm trying to cancel her, if we have a falling out, I'll be like, this is what she said uh, about yo, Cuomo. You have the audio. It'll be like succession. Yeah, of course I have the audio. It'll be like succession <laughs> when we kept the papers. Yeah. It's a, there's a lot of trust. Anya Shiv. <laughs> uh-huh. A lot of trust in this relationship. Anya Shiv, I'm Roman. There really is a Siobhan and Roman energy between you two. I can see it through the Zoom screen. I can see it through the Zoom screen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for picking up on that. That leads us to, um, we were... Hoping that you have a larger, you know, not just from this week, but a mistake in life that maybe it haunts you. Maybe you're proud of the outcome. Um, maybe you learn from it. Maybe all you do is wake up at night cringing from it. Um, but we all have large, large mistakes. And we would love to hear one of yours. Well, I feel a little bad because the one that came to mind immediately is horrifically depressing. It's really sad. Oh, I mean that's perfect. <laughs> it uh, and your mo- your mom has heard me talk about this on Beautiful Anonymous a little bit, I think. But <laughs> I had this when I think about mistakes. Like, there's not too many things where I go, man. Like, if I could, if I could turn back time and change my behavior, I would. There's there's a small handful of things, and one of them is, um, I had a friend. It, it's really sad. This is sad. This will no longer be funny. If there are any laughs in here, they will be tension relieving dark jokes. But uh, at a friend, it's our favorite genre. Yeah, we've gotten very sad and deep on good with yes. our okay. mistakes before. You're, you're so. in good company. Yeah. Well, I grew up with this kid who is my best friend, uh, Josh, and I mean like, like our older siblings were in the same grade and they were best friends. So our families would go on vacation together and his mom would babysit me and my mom would babysit him. And, um, my brother and his sister were best friends. And, uh, so one of those like childhood best friendships, I'm talking from the age of two, three, four years old, I have memories of hanging out with this kid and, he was we were he was a grade below me we were the same age but he was born after like the cutoff line for the Mm -hmm. school so he's a grade below me and um we lived in like a pretty shitty part of town together and then uh my family moved to a different neighborhood and his family moved to a different neighborhood and we remained close but we no longer lived like walking distance and he was a grade below me but um we remained really, really tight family friends. And then towards the end of elementary school, his family moved a couple towns over. Like they kept moving on up, you know, better neighborhood and we're a little further apart. Now different towns, so we're not in the same school system anymore. Like we would see each other in the, you know, 
the playground still or cross paths. And then it just went, now we see each other, like when our families make the effort to drive and hang out and families still go on vacation, but like losing touch, um, as happens when you get older. And then I'll never forget. It's funny. Cause we're talking to you and I met at fest, but it was actually at my first ever punk show because he was real into like metal and stuff from a young age. He's like North Jersey metalhead, even in middle school. My brother brought me to a punk show and Josh came. My brother's friends put on this show in the basement of a church. And my brother was like, hey, there's this punk show happening. You got to come. It's the first time I ever saw live music. And uh, we called up Josh. We were like, dude, there's gonna, it's going to be punk rock in a basement. And he loved metal. He showed up and... He was in seventh grade. I was in eighth grade. And he, he like confided in me and told me that he had started drinking. Um, and I remember thinking like, man, like there's like a handful of kids in my grade who have started drinking and they're all like problems, you know, like eighth grade. It was like young enough to be like, oh, you got to be like real, a real bad kid. And he was even a year younger. He was one of those kids, big time. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine. Mm-hmm. I'm imag- not shocked based on the little <laughs> few interactions we've had, but he was like telling me how he used to like fill a coke can up with vodka and bring it to school with him. And I remember even them being like, "You're in seventh grade, like it's wild." And I remember not knowing what to say. And then I saw him less and less as I was in high school. And uh, I remember like I'd meet kids from that. You know, you'd be driving around Jersey at night. You go to diners. You go wherever. You meet kids from other schools and towns. And I met kids from his town I'd mention his name and I realized after a certain point I started getting people giving me kind of looks um mm. and long story short he wound up getting addicted to heroin and uh it was really bad it was really bad and I mean there were a couple times where like I remember coming home and my mom would sit me down and be like hey like Nobody's seen Josh in a few days, so just kind of brace yourself because nobody's sure if we're going to get really bad news soon, you know? And it was really, really hard, you know? And there were a few things. I remember visiting him in his hometown once. I, it's still, it's, this is actually a thing I've never spoken about. I've never spoken about this, but it's it pisses me off. And it like informed my, because like you're joking, like notorious sweetie pie, and that is my reputation. I'm nice, but I also have been like, pretty pissed my whole life and i remember visiting him and like we we were walking around this town we were cutting through this uh park and these kids cornered us and they were like spitting at him and like spitting on him i was like we gotta fight back he's like no it'll just make it worse we gotta get out of here and he was a big kid too that was he was big and i remember being like man my friend is having such a tough time in this new town he's kind of more more of a rich kid town it's like this sucks. Like that, that actually happened twice. I remember I visited him in town, and these kids targeted him and messing with him. And I just realized, man, he's having a really, really hard time. And then he got into the drugs, and I went to college, and that's when you start hearing these things. You know, he disappeared, blah blah blah, and then hearing stuff. Oh, he got kicked out of his house and. He stole his mom's engagement ring and like these horror stories that anybody who's had a friend get addicted to opiates. You hear these horror stories. I'm going, oh man. Mm-hmm. And um, I graduated college and in, in North Jersey, there's a town called Montclair, which is kind of traditionally like if you're an artist, if you're an artsy person, it's kind of like if you grew up in Jersey 
it's a town a lot of people will move to for a year or two before they actually move to New York. Or mm-hmm. it's the town that like when you're in New York and you have kids and you you wind up back in Montclair. It's kind of like the, it's a very connected to New York artsy little hub with train stops and it's got a downtown. And I was walking, I lived there for a couple of years and I was walking on Bloomfield Ave, which is this huge like shopping uh, area. And all of a sudden I just hear Chris. I turn around, I hadn't seen him in years, and it was my friend. I was like, holy shit, Josh, man. And I had heard he was doing a little better and gave each other a big hug. He's like, how are you? How's your mom and dad? How's your brother? We're catching up. I'm good. They're good, man. How's your sister? This and that. And uh, He was like running sound at a music venue in town. He's like, you got to come by, see some shows. And he seemed like really excited, really full of life and... I don't think I'd seen him in years and he uh he asked for my number and we exchanged numbers he's like we got to get together man and um I was like yeah for sure and I'll never forget man like as I was saying yeah for sure I remember thinking to myself like I can't get together with this dude you know I can't Mm. do it like I'm just saying this and it was that thing where I was like I was happy to see him and I was happy to see him looking good. Um, but I also had heard a lot of stories about, like I said, some some theft and, you know, and I really judged it. I really, really judged it. And um, that was the last time I saw him. He passed away a year or two after that overdose. He fell back into it. It's, I would say, by far one of the biggest mistakes I ever made. And uh, there's like two or three things like that in life that I really felt like I, I messed up bad and had to pay a penance for. And uh, and then he passed away, you know, so I, I never got the chance to apologize for judging mm. him that hard. And I learned a lot from that. That really adjusted how I treat people in general and it really lit a fire under me to, um, like I said, there's a handful of other things where I've made some really bad judgment calls, but I've I've made an active effort. It made me realize, like, I got to go back and try to close those open doors. There's been a couple things where I messed up and I felt bad where I reached out to people and said, hey, like, I got to just, we got to have a heart to heart. I got to let you know how sorry I am or where my head was at. And it's going to be a hard conversation. Because I judged my friend. I judged my friend and I didn't ever get to apologize. He passed away, you know, and um, totally readjusted how I think about addicts and how I think about addiction and and how we treat people with addiction. And it was probably one of my biggest failings ever, ever. I would just like to say that obviously him passing away is not your fault. Yeah. Um. And there's no way we could know what would have happened had you been like, you know, a quote unquote better friend in that situation. But like we've all I think we all have a version of this story in some capacity, maybe not someone so close. So I think it's like very relatable, that regret. But I also don't think that like his fate is your mistake. And I don't think that you're saying that either. But for anyone who like relates to your story um, and blames themselves for a situation like that. Um, Just because I've 
yeah, I have a I have a somewhat similar story in my life. Um, and it's so hard to not like deeply internalize that outcome. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like rather than being a bad friend, you were asserting some kind of boundary mm-hmm. for yourself that like I think it says a lot about you as a person, the kind of person that you are, that that's how you feel about that situation, that you feel like it was you not being a good enough friend because hearing that it sounds like you just had an emotional boundary for yourself. Well, you know what it is? It's like, I don't, I don't beat myself up outside of anything except for the fact that that's a really shitty last memory to have with a person who Mm -hmm. meant a lot to me for the first four years of my life. So that just sucks. And you can't get that back. I do remember thinking back when he died, I, I felt so horrible about that encounter in Montclair, but I remember the one thing I always, I I was like, man, when we were in that, when we were at that punk rock show and he told me I've been like filling Coke cans with vodka at school, that is the one that I always was like, he knew I would have hated that. Like, and he knew Mm -hmm. I would have been really, really concerned and he knew Mm -hmm. that wasn't my thing. And that was one where I was like, that's when, but I was in eighth grade. So what am I going to do? I was what, 13, yeah. 12 years old. So I'm like, not going right. to sit here from the perspective of an adult now, but I look back at that one and I go, that was, that was my friend's cry for help. You know, that was a cry. That was him seeing if someone in his life who had these boundaries, like I did always think about that. If I had told on him, you know, mm. and then I had, have had the passing thought of like, what if I did reconnect with him? What if he had a shoulder to lean on? Like I'm sitting here going, I can't hang out with this dude. Like what if he comes over to my house one day and steals my laptop, you know? So yeah. like that was where my head was at. I'm going, what if he did have an old friend to lean on? What if that helped him? What if there were nights where he could have gotten away from maybe some of the people who were not that, but it's it's not my responsibility. It's not how life works, but more it's just, God damn, do I wish that wasn't the last time I saw him. Mm-hmm. I wish I either never ran into him on the street or I wish I behaved differently. Because sure. God yeah. damn, do I wish I didn't have that memory of turning, like giving him a hug and meaning it, being so happy to see him and meaning it and turning away. And like, as I'm turning away, thinking like, I, I can't, I can't really hang out with him, man. I've heard too much crazy shit, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. Can't do it, but- it's one of the things that I think I think I've gotten really good in life about realizing like can't reduce people to a bullet point. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like a a person's not a drug addict. Like there's a drug addicted yeah. person, mm-hmm. but they're a person. There's other parts mm-hmm. of their day too. There's other days of their week. There's other years of their life. You know, an alcoholic or mentally ill people or all these people we push to the fringes, you know, like you know all these people who get kind of marginalized by the judgment of others, you know? Yeah, for Um, sure. I I think it really woke me up towards being empathetic and realizing how quick we are to say you are blank and therefore you live on some fringe Mm -hmm. and there's now this invisible line and if I ever step over this line to even treat you like a human, I'm risking getting sucked onto that side of the line. Like, 
how many different <laughs> subgroups of people do we do that with? And I, I just have really fought hard to adjust that and not fall into that trap because whew, I did it once really bad and I will, I will go to my grave not feeling good about it. Oof, there's a lot you just said that I like don't even know where to really begin. Like, I think that that's a really there's something inherently human about kind of dehumanizing other people, unfortunately. And it's something that we've all done. And it's something I think that we do sometimes um, out of fear of just like not wanting to, you know, complicate our already complicated lives any further or, you know, making it out to be like that's something that happens to other people because they did something wrong or that like happens to other people, maybe not because they did something wrong, but it's happening to them and not me. And I don't want to think about it. I think we all at some point have different like little wake up calls about doing that to people for different reasons. And it's interesting to hear your reason being like because you were connected to this person and you regret this being like your last interaction with them. Um, For most people, their reason is that it finally happens to them. Like they're now the person that's being, you know, um, marginalized. And I think that's like a, there's something incredibly um, unique and empathetic to come to that realization without it still being you not that it's probably I'm sure it's it's you it's been you for other reasons um in other scenarios I think it happens to all of us at some point in some capacity but um yeah I mean for for me it probably I've I've had the small versions of the wake up calls um but like my version definitely was just like seeing how people started treating me when I became open about having done sex work. I definitely had a whole shift of like people that like just straight up did not want to associate with me anymore. And for me, it was wild because like nothing was different about me. (laughs) Like I was like, this, uh, this has been true about me the whole time you guys have been friends with me. You just didn't know about it. It's like, it was such a strange thing where I was like, I, I almost caught myself further marginalizing other people by being like, well, I'm not doing like this or, you know, and like thinking in my head X, Y, Z things that are like not acceptable. And what I'm doing is actually like normal and so acceptable in comparison to those things. And when I almost like caught myself making that defense, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's literally mm-hmm. what these people are doing to me. Yep. And I'm like trying to distance myself from like that by doing it to other people, um, I find it, um, it's a compelling story that like it, you were able to get there while just still thinking about other people's experiences. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I just, yeah. It's relatable. It's very relatable for yeah. sure. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people who have a version of it, um, for sure, but it definitely taught me like, on a basic fundamental level, before I judge people, I do ask myself, like, does their life sound harder than yours? Yeah. And if the answer is yeah, you got to try to find a way to take a deep breath and not make their life even harder because mm-hmm. of your, yeah. you know, instinctive judgments or reactions or whatever. Like, and even if it's guided by their own choices, you know, like, Basically, it's like if Tom Waits would sing a song about you, I got to be someone who gets your back. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you're, <laughs> That's a great rule. It's like 
it, it, you know, people who sit here and write off alcoholics where it's like, yeah, but they chose to pick up the drink and you go, yeah, but now they're caught in something that's horrible. Yeah. It doesn't matter and that it's their choices. They also didn't choose to have like the brain chemistry that would lead to addiction. There's plenty or of people whatever. that pick up a drink and that doesn't happen. Yeah. Or whatever thing happened to them when they were 11 years old that they're never going to talk about that you don't know about, right. you know, or, you right. know, like if you bring up sex work, similar thing where you're like, you know, this whole idea that like people still almost have this scarlet letter mentality and it's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like someone, you know, that can be a very scary life for certain, you know, people who go into a hotel room with someone they don't know and they don't know how it's going to end and there's like centuries of precedent of serial killers targeting <laughs> it sounds scary it sounds like a thing that um it sounds like a thing that there were potentially not in all cases but in a lot of cases it's it's probably fair to say like there's probably some people whose backs were against a wall when they make choices in life and choices send them down certain roads now what are you going to do are you going to judge it to protect yourself and shrink your world Mm. or are you going to have some open arms and some understanding that people are uh people are just trying to get through the day just like you are and and uh if you sit there and if you sit there and put up walls to keep people out well all you're doing is making the hard parts of people's lives harder while offering nothing to try to help yeah. Um, and that starts with kindness, right? Like you judge somebody, they walk away. You could have shown them kindness instead. And who knows what that would have done? Mm-hmm. Maybe nothing, mm-hmm. maybe a lot. But man, I, I think back to that meeting with my friend all the time, all the time. And I try to, I really try to judge people. And not just, I try to avoid judging people, especially for things they can't control. But even things that they were in control of, even if it's choices they made, okay, well they made the choices. My friend, my friend, found heroin. That's his choice. His life was chaos, and it was a lot of pain, mm. and uh, it was wrong of me to judge it, and I wish I hadn't. There's also a lot of things like we talk a lot about substance abuse on this podcast um we are two drug users ourselves and not of any of the more serious drugs that people you know tend to lose their lives to or get addicted to but we're like advocates for safe you know harm reduction essentially is the buzzword um and there's like a whole other side like yes there's technically it's like a bad decision to start doing heroin and we're all taught that um but there's so all this other stuff that is rarely taken into consideration about like the ways in which our like world is not set up to support people with these propensities and these issues And that like there's actually like a lot of ways that we could be making these, you know, people do drugs, period. It's going to they've been doing drugs since the beginning of time. They're going to do drugs till the end of time. It sucks that certain drugs can kill you. And it sucks that um, we know that and we don't do anything with that information. (laughs) And we just like don't offer any real support to these people or um, access to the like high that they're seeking that's safer like these are things that are actually technically within the control of like 
the people who um, the the powers that be. And instead, they're like, you know, these drugs are criminalized and they're forced to be go through the system of like the drug a uh, dealer chain that sometimes people cut these drugs with really unsafe things. And like, if that were not the only way people could have access to these ways that they're self-medicating, we would see a lot less of these deaths and a lot less of these like horrible, um, unmitigated addictions. And also the stigma of like drug addiction and drug use, um, And, you know, that very, very stigma that made you hug your friend and then turn around and judge your friend would be way less of um, something that we're we're all like up against if there were more systems in place for just like understanding that like, yeah, people are just trying to get through the day and you're not inherently evil for part of you wanting to get through the day is um, some kind of high. Yeah, it would be great if it wasn't a high that could kill you. Yeah. <laughs> but well and also it's like this idea that like one high is better yeah. than the other. I remember so I I've like talked a lot on the podcast before about having like kind of a coke problem in my early 20s and thinking at that point that it was that I was an addict and then realizing that I wasn't. But I remember through a bad game of telephone, I wasn't talking to my family at the time, someone told someone in my family who then told everyone that I had a meth problem. And when I cleared the air and was like, no, it's Coke, someone in my family was like, oh, okay, well, that's like way different. And I was like, okay, first of all, what? <laughs> like, they're both hard drugs. And why is me, like, it was almost as though, like, the levity of the situation wasn't as serious because I was doing Coke and not meth. And I was right. like, you shouldn't be judging me for doing either drug. Just like help me out if I need help. But like, how is one high better than another or worse than another? It's so fucking weird to me Mm -hmm. and moralistic. And it just, and it's just, it's so dumb. It makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah. And the stigmas too, it's, I actually, my friend Murph, who was on my old TV show, he put out a podcast called Murph Myers self-medicated because he was a heroin addict for years before I knew him. And, He's very supportive of harm reduction and so much of what he broke down was eye opening to me. Just, you know, the idea it's like you have Narcan, which can save people. Mm-hmm. So if you set up a clinic where people who are addicts can go and do drugs, where there are people trained to watch out for overdose on hand who could administer mm-hmm. Narcan, those people can stay alive. Um, you sit here, you go, what exactly is the problem with that? People can get clean needles, people can be under supervision, and people who might you know, maybe would be shown some compassion and kindness where you go, well, this isn't just going to become a business where people come to do drugs. Maybe this could also be a place where people find some hope and find some way out of this. Um, It's desperation. And then you find out even the clinics that are allowed to open, like more often than not, what happens is wealthy areas go not around here. Mm -hmm. Upper middle class areas go not around here. And then what do you wind up doing? You wind up sending addicts, into inner city areas and this is where these clinics are where you go well this is also now places where there's like corrupt policing and where dealers know to find addicts who are far away from home and 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 make connections to actually sell them more drugs and all this statistic all the not in my backyard nonsense that's all born like you said out of this like kind of shaking your finger in a moralistic way where you go well it's this thing of it's, there's wealthy kids dying from opiates. There's upper mm-hmm. middle class kids getting hooked on p- 
pills all the time and it's leading down this heroin road. There's like, you know, I'm not going to claim I was tight with him. I only met him a couple times. Like Harris Whittles was a famous mm-hmm. comedy writer. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like. And an executive producer of like the most popular TV show at the time. Oh, yeah. Like, so it's like, it's like a, it's a problem that crosses every socioeconomic thing. But then the places where you can actually go and get help, you have to go and like you said, like, oh, so Coke feels like it's okay because it's more associated with wealthier people or yeah. like, or like liberal arts colleges. Like, <laughs> which but also, like, addic- the, the supply chain of cocaine versus meth, like, there's probably way more people like dying to yeah. get cocaine under your nose than For to sure. get like meth to your door. Like, not that, like, you know, I'm just, if we're going to do the moralistic thing, like, there's yeah. a lot of different reasons why, like, cocaine is a little bit more immoral but because it's like chic and white rich people do it it's like and like a lot of people just do it like it's like you know so it's so common in like tv shows and it's like it's like fun yeah (laughs) which whatever i'm i'm not wagging my finger at people doing coke period but it's just interesting to me the reasons why it's considered like the okay drug to do until all of a sudden it's not until now you're like now, now you're an addict, even though we all are also doing it and having a great time. Yeah. And so we're not yeah. going to offer you any support because you fucked up by having like brain tra- chemistry and trauma that informed uh, your use being less like cool than ours. It's like all very icky to me. Also, like all of America is addicted to caffeine and I don't feel like we're talking and enough about that. And sugar and fucking everything. Like, you know, <laughs> right. like... Uh, it's I was in AA for six months in my like when I was like 20 I don't know 23 24 I forget what age and I just was like blown away by the way that like sure everybody was sober but like everybody was in there fucking eating like giant bags of Sour Patch Kids and like <laughs> pouring like an entire cup of sugar into their tiny cup of co- coffee because they are now addicted to sugar and staying sober it's like it's we're all addicted to something that's fine. <laughs> hey, 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 too. You got to talk about God a lot, right? Oh, so yeah, you got to talk about God a lot, <laughs> and sugar also and talk like, about God. This sounds dark in its own way. It yeah, dark in its own way. You got to talk about God, and then also like the the thing with AA is that like there's the whole culture of AA is that like you're there to talk about being an addict, but like it's not really kosher to like talk about the trauma that led to you being an addict because that's kind of like looked at as like an excuse for why you started using in the first place, which is so wild to me. Cause I'm like, how do you heal yourself from this disease as they like to call it? If you can't talk about how you got there in the first place, it helps some people. It does. We it, have, it and, uh, you know, we it have, helps a lot of people. I'm not saying don't go. Yeah. But I just That's think just her experience. I think it's, and, yeah, yeah. My experience was that it was a kind of cuckoo. <laughs> yeah. And there's, other things out there and also like this relates back to my friend is like I don't like the I actually there's been a lot of people in my life who've gone to AA who speak glowingly about their experience and they still go and I'm into it but I I do I am very hesitant about a system that is like 
well, if you fall off the wagon, turn in your chip and start over because yeah. this is a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, it's the type of thing that I think back to my friend and I go, man, like he wasn't allowed to fuck up, even though he wound up in a situation where you're gonna fuck up. That's like, the thing. Like you're going you know? to fuck up. Like that is like, yeah, it's just a given in these situations. So it's strange that they don't have a system for like rewarding the fact that you're trying at all and like hyping up like just the effort to stay alive instead it's just about like the literal like months and numbers and like i mean once again i have not had any experience with aa so i'm not gonna speak to it too much but like something that happened in the media not too long ago was dax shepherd um falling off the wagon and like losing his like 11 year aa chip or something and is now i think at this point probably like a year in or something. I don't really remember exactly when that happened, but like I, I listened to his podcast episode about it. And I think that, you know, his, he's just a, like, he's a celebrity. I don't know personally, and I don't know a lot about anything that he's going through outside of what he shares with the public. But to me, I'm like, you're still a person who was sober for 11 years. (laughs) And like all of that work still exists. And it's like strange to me that you're now like a, like a six monther or something because of like some prescription pills that you did too many of a couple times. Like it's just a strange, it's a strange system. And I, I would think like if I were 11 years in and I took my like, you know, one too many Ambien because it felt good. And then like technically I'm not sober anymore, even though I was prescribed that. I think that's essentially what he did. I don't really remember the specifics, but like I would be like, well, fuck it. That's 11 years down the drain. Let's party because I'm like not going to it's not 11 years anymore. Um, And I don't think that that's a great incentive personally. It's not. I stopped drinking 20 years ago. I never did AA and largely have identified as sober. And then in 2012, I had a friend explain Molly to me. (laughs) She made it sound really good and really chill. And then, and it was at first. And then I tell you, I, uh, I was just saying, I'm just still laughing at the sentence. I had a friend explain Molly to me. I'm like, she explained it to me as part of there. I would say it was almost a pitch if we're being honest. And, uh, <laughs> There's no way to very... explain Molly that doesn't sound like a pitch. I don't think. Oh, it was so such an effective pitch, and I did Molly, and it was great. And then <laughs> I realized, I, I realized, oh right, like I go apeshit with substances, and mm-hmm. I went nuts. The summer of 2012, I really went nuts. <laughs> I was behaving very out of character, and like I said, I never did AA. And maybe it would have helped me along the way. I managed without it to just kind of go cold turkey on my own. But I sit here, I go, I do look back at that year and go, I had to do a lot of soul searching. And there were some people I had to apologize to for how I was behaving that summer. And some people. <laughs> how who often I were you were, doing Molly that summer? Well, it it wasn't often. It was that I did no research into how it works. So mm. I performed at Bonnaroo and a friend of mine was like, I'm going to find some Molly. You should try it. It's And I was like, ah, drugs aren't really my thing. She's like, it's really relaxed, very, like, very chill. Like, real, it just hits you and you think about who you are and everything kind of feels good. And, like, it's not really like all oh, the ecstasy sex drug. It's more just like you're going to connect with everybody around yeah. you and this and that. Euphoric. <laughs> Yeah, and so, but what I should have done, I should have said, let me take my phone and go read up on this. 
And instead what I did was I took some and it hit and it was great. And I said, I got to go find some more. Mm. And I wound up eating, it was at Bonnaroo we performed. And I think it was within 36 hours. Oh my God. I ate, uh, I wound up spending, now I shared some with people because I'm not a fucking, I'm not selfish, you know? But also, I did. Also, Molly spend, is a drug you do with others. Yeah. Yeah. Best so done it's a social drug. Friends. Doesn't change the fact that I, I personally spent over $300 procuring Molly and just kept buying it anywhere I could find it and kept eating it. Um, and if you know Molly, people know. who, there's people who are into it, they <laughs> will tell you, like, it. it's not how it works. It's yeah. not like if you take more, it gets better. You're just pounding your brain so yeah, yeah, yeah. I had these 36 hours where I just, I went from sober <laughs> for 12 straight years to just eating chemicals. And I broke up with my girlfriend while there was still Molly in my system. Oh I was dating God. for like almost a decade. It was bad. <gasps> like my pupils were <laughs> oh fucked up. Oh my God. Up. That is a yeah. fucking iconic mistake. Breaking up bad. with Molly, breaking up with your girlfriend on the Molly, Molly. come down. <laughs> On the come down, sitting in a car, just being like, yeah, just, uh, you know, it's like we're friends. And ultimately, like, we have a beautiful friendship, but you don't have to marry your best friend. And I don't think we're, I don't think I'm going to marry him. We'd been dating for years and like, it was bad. And then I got, that was when I first got prescribed Adderall. So now I was in this mindset of substance. So then I start, I went from like Molly, like way too much Molly for 36 straight hours in a way that was like, and also to be clear, I have a lifetime of mental illness, a uh-huh. lifetime so like already my brain chemistry is weird. So now I'm taking my Wellbutrin and my Lamictal and mixing those in. And then I get put on Adderall and I started just eating that like jelly beans. And <laughs> been there, been such that. a fucked up summer. Such a fucked up summer. But like when I did kind of, I finally did it. I had a friend actually, I had a friend who grabbed me and he he was a filmmaker. He was like, I have a, I'm, I have a film in a festival in, in Brazil. Come with me. Like we got to get you out of New York. And he wasn't judgmental. It was actually really beautiful. Cause he, he's a guy who can party. And he was like, we're going to Rio. And like, this can go in two directions. Like if you want to like be this guy, who's like partying all the time, all of a sudden out of nowhere, where all my friends were kind of like, the fuck is that like you know like this is just not like you he's like if you want to be that guy you can be that guy in rio you can figure it out he's like you can also just go hang out at the beach or like sit next to a pool and relax and i went in that direction and kind of got my head together and was like all right but that was like a friend who was like i'm not judging you but we got to get you out of new york where all this shit is going down and just you have to just make some decisions and figure it out if I was in AA, I sit here, I wonder, would I go, well, I just destroyed 12 years mm-hmm. of my life. That 12 mm-hmm. years never mattered. I fucked everything up. Mm-hmm. Instead of, let's get the fuck out of New York and figure out what's going on, which wound up being much healthier for me. And um, yeah, so. Totally. It was crazy. Molly is great. It was great, <laughs> it was great until great. it wasn't. I am. Um, it was great until it so wasn't. much. Yeah, Nika can't do Molly anymore. Well, not well for, not for the foreseeable future. Yeah, right now, and I can't do it's, it. It's where it's she's taking it hard. It's weighing on me. It's okay. <laughs> the worst. Um, the worst breakup so I've ever rhythm. gone through. Oh, we were doing. I mean, me and I mean, our friendship really. Well, during grew. COVID, during like lockdown. We started doing, I mean, we both were people who already did like drugs, but I would say the most Molly. We were doing Molly every weekend. We were doing Molly every weekend together with like our little group of friends as just because we like, there is nothing Nothing else to to do. do. (laughs) Yeah. So we were like, (laughs) so we were doing like crying. 
psychedelics and Molly together on the, on a weekly basis. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> which was sick. I stand by the it. The, the, we're both fine. We don't do it at that level anymore, but we both still party. Yeah. Do you think COVID must have just been like a bonanza for Molly dealers, right? Molly <laughs> well, dealers yeah, our friends. Yeah. We're, we're friends with several um, Molly and like psychedelic dealers, and I think that it was flying off the shelves. Yeah, I think it's really flying off <laughs> the, the supply shelves. chain. Those yeah. are the first <laughs> yeah, early the indicators of the supply chain, chain issues. Yeah, yeah, for sure. People who sold ketamine, you couldn't. Oh, oh don't even get us. Don't even get started on ketamine. ketamine. Oh boy. God, wait, I just had a I just had a vision of me and you at one of our friends' apartments with the mortar and pestle just of Molly being passed yeah, around there last was winter. A, yeah. There we would literal of like Molly. spoonfuls of like freshly crushed up being Molly like, Do you want more? as like being passed around like an hors d'oeuvre <laughs> at like a dinner party. Yeah. And everyone that being was like, our, yeah, why that not? was our COVID experience. Yeah. And I at that point in my life before COVID, I'd done Molly maybe three times, Same. like two years apart each time. Same. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm definitely never going back to doing it that often. Like it definitely that was like Yeah. That was I lot. had a real come to Jesus moment during like at the basically this summer. I was like, I cannot Yeah, we did it twice and we blew our We blew our wad as <laughs> we we did it twice in basically your story. We yeah. in thirty six hours we did so much. Sounds like you know what I mean. Were you just dead in all yeah. your dopamine oh, receptors we were, and you could feel no I'm joy not, afterwards? Yeah. I I am not a crier. I was literally sobbing for like the f- full two days. Like anytime I was coming down, basically, because there was like there was a come down experience before we would come up again. But I was like, I was crying. I was all over the place emotionally. I'm such a crier that the amount of Molly we did made me stop crying. Just made me (laughs) nonverbal, like until it was back in my system. And then when we got back from the festival that we were at, I was like, oh, yeah. And we have neither of us has done Molly since then. Yeah. And now Nika can't for health reasons. Yeah. For now. But when she's allowed to again, it's going to be it's it's, going to it's wow. It's going to be a holiday for us. Yeah. Um, See, so, you know, exactly. I, I was like, take I have. I have like a very tenuous brain chemistry that I've been medicated oh, for three years. Yeah. Pound the <laughs> shit out of my brain with Molly, do no research on it, and just feel dead for a month. For sure. I mean, yeah, like, like that's kind of what that was. We like at least me. know that, like, we, it's not that, I mean, we've done our research. We know all of the facts about how Molly, like, interacts with our brains, <laughs> our brains and our mental illnesses. Um, but we are both, I think, we're, we both have bipolar too. And in our friendship, we sync up our manic episodes sometimes. I think that was oh, an example nice. of that. Where yeah. We were like, let's just do it. Let's just do so much fucking Molly because it's a full moon. Like, we weren't really paying attention to, like, how rapidly we were talking to each other and convincing each other that doing, like, multiple oh, doses man. in um, our, like, tiny bodies was like a good idea yeah. um it's <laughs> fine wild. like i think about that sometimes <laughs> where i'm like if i had another because it's like you are separate human beings but you're describing something where i'm like there are times in my life where if i had another me telling me what i was thinking <laughs> was a good idea i'd be fucking dead years ago we least, i would have died years ago we, we do i only aftercare. had people going like we, stop what are you talking no, about you're not making any sense it's very important to know about our friendship that while we are kind of like as you just said we are like another me like, yeah. like we do definitely hype each other up into some like questionable <laughs> choices but we're also like extremely um 
anxious, depressive people who like really love to process things. And we like really so much of our friendship, like what people see on what people hear on the podcast, what people see on our Instagrams and Twitters is that we're like fucking partying and we're like so fun. And like everyone's like, we want to hang out with you. But it's like you, you knew that like. 80% 80% of us hanging out is us like sitting circling the drain absolutely circling the drain about like whatever it is that we're like currently processing and like if we should still like 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 for every 36 hour Molly Bender which there's only been one of yeah but 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 like you know for instance there's like at least a two-week period of us like deeply analyzing and talking about it and like figuring out (laughs) like our our lives and what is best for us and that's why we party so hard and then we yeah it's like it's a it's a fun cycle it's yeah it's yeah i think it's fine i think we're good for each other i think it's healthy Uh, we definitely talk each other out of actual bad decisions very intense we're we We are are, very intense people yeah (laughs) i mean to the point where the other day we were at this party and somebody like nika and a few other people left the room that i was in and like they didn't come back for a while and somebody else in the room was like where'd those people go like did they go smoke cigarettes outside (laughs) and i was like if they did i'm gonna go punch nika in the face (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if, if they're outside smoking cigarettes, I'm going to slap it out of her hand. And they were like, oh, what? Is she your girlfriend or something? And I was like, no, but, but not no, <laughs> but not no. <laughs> like, I'm as invested in her as if she were my girlfriend. And I'm going to go punch her in the face if she's smoking a cigarette because I care about her health. I want her to be around as long as possible to go on Molly Benders with me. Yes. Now, if you could pass the sugar bowl of Molly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it's all... Um, Don't worry, everyone. I wasn't smoking a cigarette. She wasn't. Which, I was on acid and I wanted to so bad. I keep doing acid and not smoking cigarettes. I think it's such an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. We're proud of her. <laughs> we here at Best Mistakes are proud of this non-cigarette smoking Nika Lamazzo. I miss them every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep missing them, bitch. I, I anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm so glad we got a Molly Bender mistake out of you too. What a special treat. What a little sprinkle. I have to ask, did you stay broken up with the person you broke up with? Oh yeah. She hasn't spoken to me in years. years. Okay. So there wasn't like a, I'm sorry, I was on a Molly Bender and then it all was fine. It, I don't think I ever fully owned up to that. She called out. She was like, cause I told her, Hey, I fell off the wagon. I did a bunch of drugs. She's very, very concerned. We dated for a long time. And when we were breaking up, she's like, I can't believe you're breaking up with me. There's still drugs in your system. And I was like, no, there's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is, isn't there? Like, I realized she was right. Um, and it that's a horrible way to break up with someone, especially after that many years together. It was, yeah. it was not, it was not good. It was not cool. Yeah. Um, I'm a little shocked we haven't communicated even at all. Yeah. Um, and we run in similar circles. So, um, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of. I, I would I would certainly apologize for that if I had the chance. Like hey, maybe I said, she listens to best mistakes and she'll listen. And yeah, then... <laughs> your your ex girlfriend and my happened. mom will listen to this episode and reach out to and you. That's it. Stranger <laughs> things have happened. Like it's, like I said too. Like my friend passing certainly did teach me of like if you have somebody you need to apologize for. You so I try to do it. Try to do it. And there's yeah. been a couple of times that have been very fruitful where I have and. That's one where I'm like, yeah, if we ever had an adult conversation, we ever talked again, I'd go like, that was not, that was not the coolest way 
that was a very rocky ending, and I know that that was rougher than it had to be. Sorry about that. And there's other, certainly things that I would uh, stand by sentiment-wise, but you know, my eyes didn't need to be two different sizes while I was expressing it for the first <laughs> time ever. Like that's not the best. Yeah, mm-hmm. relatable. We we um, yeah, we've had our fair share of our mistakes along those lines and our listeners mistakes along those lines. So that's definitely gonna, um, I mean, I think both mistakes you shared (laughs) are going to ring true for our listenership. Um, and we appreciate your vulnerability. Thank you you so much much for doing this. Yeah. No, please. I'm also realizing at the tail end that if we, if we ever hung out in real life, it would either be like, (laughs) My life, like it would either be the most boring night of your lives or the most fucked up night I've had in 15 years. It would years. definitely be for sure. It wouldn't be boring for us. It would be a, a fucked up night for you, though, for sure. So let's do no, that. No, no, no. There's no way I nights. set the pace, right? You're just completely discounting that... the idea that I could be the one setting the tone of the night. Like, no, 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 I just no, can't no, imagine no. that hanging out with you would be boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you don't. Also, I we yeah, we have a lot of friends that are sober and like don't. Yeah, we have plenty of friends that that's uh, once again. I have to, I can't stress enough that we project a certain amount of like crazy fun girl energy that like, um, in reality, a lot of our time spent is like, I don't know, having little dinner, having little dinners with our friends or like little movie nights. Yeah, um, and like laying on one of our beds and absolutely talking to death some in, innocuous problem in yeah. one of our lives um there's plenty of that <laughs> there is but yeah like you know also there's i i i do imagine that if you came along for one of our nights <laughs> It would absolutely rock your socks. Get you to Carrie Nation. <laughs> yeah, we'll take uh-huh. you to um, a techno, a gay techno rave in Bushwick. You can come to those. Oh, with it's us. been years. Uh, it's been years. Let's <laughs> uns, uns together. Let's uns, uns Chris Gethard. <laughs> Please, just once, just to see what happens. I'm saying with Chris Gethard. That's yeah. the name of the app. <laughs> um, you have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Do you want to plug any of it? Um, this is probably not going to come out for a couple of weeks, but I know you're you have a tour in the new year, right? Is that? Uh, well, I have a bunch. I'm I'm out on the road all the time. Yeah, ChrisGeth.com, and then I got my beautiful anonymous podcast and yes. my New Jersey podcast and all sorts of dumb stuff and. I'm writing a book that's coming out next year. Oh my god, that's exciting! And congratulations! But yeah, mostly just the touring dates. If you want to hear, I feel like I feel like um, if you're a listener to this podcast and you want to hear a man who uh, who just turned 41 talk about uh, what it's like raising a son, um, I am your I am your golden ticket. <laughs> so come yeah. on out. Perfect. Yeah, I do think, you know, I think that that would be a nice um, that will balance out what listeners get from our podcast. Yeah, they're like, oh, my God, enough about the gay raves. (laughs) I want to just hear about someone raising a kid and they can go over to your podcast. Yes. What's it like to give a baby a bath? I want to hear some jokes about a dad in over his head. Sometimes we, you know, we have to give our friends baths if they're too, <laughs> if they're on too much acid. It's similar. 
Um, well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank this was you. such a pleasure. A oh, pleasure, a joy. And I, I hope you, uh, you can get some um, dinner time and bath time in with your kid. I hope we didn't take you, take up too much of your time. Oh no, it's all good. And I hope I hope that I made your mom happy. Oh my god, <laughs> you most certainly did. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. 